שלום עליכם, we'll begin, פרק קכ"א, we'll say together, שיר למעלוי ששאי נייל ההורים מאין יבוא עזרי, עזרי מאם אדוני עושה שמים וארץ, אל ייתן למות רגלךו, אל ינום שומרךו, הנה לא ינום ולא יישן שומר ישראל, אדוני שמרךו, אדוני צילךו על יד ימינךו, יומם השמש לא יככו, ויורח בלילה, אדוני ישמורךו מכל רע, ישמור את נפשךו, אדוני ישמור צייסכו ובואכו, מהטוב ועד עולם. The unique princess understanding the significance of modesty in building the Jewish home. Some years ago, I was asked to give a lecture for one of the Kirov organizations to a big crowd of ladies. Uh, and the topic was the Jewish woman, her glory is inward, all about the Jewish woman. At the end of the lecture, uh, I opened up to the floor, asked if there were any questions, and there she was, the back on the left, a lady got up and asked a question. And uh, as she was talking, my heart was sinking. She said the following, and she was looking, she was sounding Ehrlich, she was sounding real. And uh, she said the following, she said, it's all very interesting what you said, it was all very beautiful, very interesting, all about the Jewish woman, and her glory is inward, etc., etc. Except, she said, I can't uh, quite uh, match this up with what I see it. I can't figure out the connection between what you were speaking and the religious and Haredi ladies that I see in the street. Uh... That wasn't all. My heart was already sunk at, the, at this point. But then she went on. She elaborated further. She said, um, and all the other ladies, very many of the other ladies, all nodding vehemently and very much showing agreement with her, with what she was saying. She said that uh, with the way they look, with their long, flowing uh, wigs in the in the breeze and their high heels and their and their tight-fitting clothes, they look more like models than this glory of the princess, princess is inward, as you've just spoken. Well, I prayed to Akrash Baruch Hu, help me, save me, how do I get out of this? There's no way, I can't try and uh, say that she, she's been seeing funny sights and that it's, you know, that's what she's seeing is only exceptions. It wouldn't go down. These people live in, so it's a lecture in Eretz Israel. These people were in contact with the observant community. They saw, they could, uh, the eyes were open. What was I going to do about this? I don't know, I asked Hashem, save me. So first of all, I started, there was no way of getting around this. Not The truth was the only answer. But first of all, I justified, yeah, that who she's describing are, are my ladies. As us. So first of all, I gave it a justification, which is true. 
and I said that, look, the vast majority of observant, Torah observant ladies uh, who are dressing, as you're saying, which is clearly inappropriate, uh, they're not doing this on purpose. They really do not understand what is inappropriate. And uh, therefore, in other words, we will give them the benefit of the doubt that the, it's a mistake. They don't know. Well, that was the best I could do on that side, but that's not going to help sufficiently. I had Bikashkocha a few nights earlier than that there had been. It was at the period of time some years ago where the Dole Israel had come out with the... Um, a request uh, to, from the community, from the religious community, to, to improve, from the Haredi to improve in this area of modesty, and specifically talking about the dress of women. And they made big conventions all over Eretz Israel. And the Gdole Israel came to these. Rav Steinman went, Shlita went to, to, to some of them, and Rav Yoshi, the Chetzadik Rochi, went to, came to others that were held in Shalim and other places. And uh, there, there they, the idea was this was f held for the Avrechim, for the, the men who were, uh, to give them uh, uh, yeah, an, an injection in raising the standard of modesty of their wives and daughters. And um, subsequent to this, there were a number of uh, conventions of a similar nature held for women, whereby women were given out different instruction sheets and etc., as to what is appropriate, what isn't appropriate. The idea is to raise the level of tzvias, of modesty, within our community. So I had been at one of these evenings, and so I just shared this with the ladies in this auditorium, and I told them, us in the observant community, our rabbis, the Gdolei Israel, uh, are, are constantly trying to raise our attention to the subject so that we will dress appropriately, containing our femininity, as we'll explain. And uh, I myself had been at one of these evenings, uh, and we had been given pamphlets as to what is an appropriate and a suitable, uh, what is okay to wear, if, whether it's wigs or clothes or whatever it was, the various parts of our, of our clothing, that it should really be appropriate. So... Uh, but Lemaise, that was, you know, I went on to the next question. But Lemaise, that question would, will stay with me for life. It's very, very uh, uh, heartache uh, uh, when one gets confronted with uh, something of this nature where somebody, those from the outside, are looking at us and we are meant to be examples, yeah, and uh, where we are not living up to the example we are meant to be. Uh, and it brings our attention, and this is the way Akrash Baruch Hu wants it this way, that we will be given an injection, in all, you know, and given a, a reminder in all kinds of ways. And this, too, uh, we should realize serves as a reminder to all of us uh, in this area um, to recognize that there is a problem. And now let's understand the problem. In other words, if we are all going to bury our heads in the, like ostriches in the sand and say oh, we're just perfect, we won't move on, we won't improve. But if we recognize, yes, we, there is a problem, let's see, let's understand it, and then acknowledging it and understanding it will bring us to various solutions. So let's begin. Modesty and the world. See, our generation is so exposed and has literally no boundaries. In our generation, people have ceased 
to feel a natural embarrassment about the idea of excessive exposure. It's just kind of taken for granted. This is how things are. Now, most people don't give much thought to their manner of dress, or more accurately, the lack thereof, and simply follow the dictates of contemporary fashion. That's what's in the shops. That's what everybody's wearing. So, me too. That's what we think on the surface is all that meets the eye. But there is a deeper reason for this phenomena, which is rooted in a lack of belief in a creator. Rav Yitzchak Hutner, Zechat Tzadik Levrocha, in Pachat Yitzchak says the following, It is nothing but a rebellion against the principles of faith. Rav Lopian, Zechat Tzadik Levrocha, in Levi Liao says, The licentiousness and immodesty whose source is heresy, a denial of Hashem Yisbaruch and his Torah. When a person denies the existence of the Creator, he comes to see himself as nothing more than a sophisticated animal. So he requires little clothing. When Rav Yaakov Kaminetsi, Zechat Tzadik Livrocha, went on an aeroplane once with some of his grandchildren, and uh, nearby sat the head of the, at the time, the Histradrut Workers' Union. And uh, this other man, this was a secular man, was observing the goings-on with Rav Yaakov Kaminetsky and his grandchildren. They were, like, dancing around him, anything he needed. They were taking such care of him, though. It was such honor he was given. He couldn't, he couldn't understand this. So eventually he couldn't contain himself any further. And he came up to Rav Yaakov and he asked him, tell me, what's the secret? Why is it? I've also got grandchildren. They hardly know I exist. Why is it your grandchildren are dancing around you like this, that they're giving you such reverence, such honor? So the answer of the Rav was as follows. The Jewish people know how to recognize and appreciate the greatness of those who came before them. The further away a generation is from the glory of those who lived previously, the relatively more diminished it becomes. This is the way the Torah, do you understand? We come from great stock and we're in Yeridata Dorot. The generations are going down. Where we come from was higher. But in a generation without Torah, young people look down with scorn on those who are older than they, because they believe, these youngsters believe, because they're perhaps more proficient with modern-day technology and science, etc., they think they're greater. And then they scorn those who are older than them. And it's the exact opposite from Hashkafasa Torah, from the Torah of, of values on the generations. So therefore it's obvious that the grandchildren of Rebchai Yaakov can say, honor and revere him because he's closer to the generation behind who's to be more revered, etc., etc. Whereby this man who's brought up his children on the secular concepts, his grandchildren think they're much greater than their grandfather. They, they wouldn't pay much attention at all. Man is the glory of God. The glory of man is his garments. 
so it's brought down in Derech Eretz Zuta. Man was created in the image of Hashem, therefore he is a unique and superior being. He possesses deep within him the fundamental trait of shame, which is a prerequisite of modesty. Women, in particular, were created with a trait, as Hashem formed them from the rib, a concealed part of man. As it says in Breshis Rabba, as he formed each of her limbs, he commanded her, be a modest woman and be a modest woman. But the stores are full of immodest clothing. They're all there for sale and women are buying clothes that contradict their essential nature. So what actually happens then? Initially, she may feel uncomfortable, but she'll soon overcome her discomfort and she grows accustomed to it. Then all too soon, she loses her sensitivity and no longer gives a second thought to her undignified appearance. Therefore, the current situation is an insult and an embarrassment to all of us. So the solution is, let's understand who we are. We are all the descendants of Adam Harishon, the first man. So God created man in his image. In the image of God, he created him, as it says in Sefer Breshit. The Shlach HaKadosh says that Adam, Adam, is from the term Adamele Elyon, I will liken myself to the Most High. And this is, in essence, the purpose of our being created, to resemble Hashem. Thus, within us is a natural and inborn sensitivity to modesty. And Am Yisrael excel in this trait. Just as a dove is modest, so too Israel is modest. So it's brought down in Shira Shirim Rabbah. And Jewish women in particular are rewarded for developing this virtue. The trait of modesty is extremely praiseworthy and especially so in women. The Meiri says this. And as the Maharal writes, the primary praise of a woman and her high spiritual level is her modesty. We are living in the generation of Iqvaset and Mashiach, as our sages have said, in the period that will precede the coming of Mashiach. Insolence will increase. Immodesty stems from insolence because people lack self-respect, respect for others, and for the Creator. We understand the situation now. What does Hashem want from us at times like these? We were given a mission to spread the light to the nations. For you are a holy people to Hashem, your God. Hashem, your God, has chosen you to be for him a treasured people 
above all the peoples that are on the face of the earth. As it says in Sefer Vorim. So we, we are meant to be an or lakoyim, a light unto the nations. We have the capacity to influence the world around us. So we must stand upright, strong and respectful and serve as models of modesty and shame which today's world has disgracefully trampled beneath its arrogant foot. As the Chofetz Chaim writes, at the end of the exile where we are today, there exists a very terrible war between purity and impurity. Who will correct the situation? The survivors upon whom God has called these are the true heroes. They are the people of the Torah. Each person on his level encourages other servants to faithfully carry out his work. Oh, joy! Hashem's waiting for us. We have the merit and the obligation to correct the situation. Let's understand the world's influence. Let's begin. First of all, the Torah advises us to know our enemy. As the Ramchal says in Mesilat Yesharim, it requires great astuteness and attentiveness to avoid the snares of the Yetzer and escape evil in order that it has no hold over us to intrude upon our deeds. I recall getting a phone call <coughs> one Friday morning. I was busy peeling potatoes and the phone rang and there was an extremely distraught woman on the other side of the phone. She was crying, she was shouting. She, basically, she was telling me that she wanted to know if I could just help her to find the nearest basin. What does she need a basin Friday morning? She says she needs to get divorced immediately. Okay, eventually, after a while, I kind of tried to calm her down what was the reason for this emergency divorce that she needed. And the story was as follows. She had woken up in the middle of the night and she had found her husband with her computer that she has for work in her home. And uh, there he was looking at extremely inappropriate uh, contents uh, on the internet, on her computer. Well, that was it. She wanted a divorce. This is not who she wanted to be married to. She was completely, completely set on it. This is the end of her marriage. Anyway, it took a while to calm her down enough to suggest her that um, maybe we can try and see, get through this difficulty, etc. But the first question I asked her was simply... Uh, you have a computer in your house with an open internet. Uh, yes, she's got an open internet. I said, but didn't you hear that the rabbis, a long time ago, there's been an instruction by the rabbis that one is not allowed to keep an open internet in one's possession. In the house, how can you have an open internet? So her answer was, she said, you don't understand. We are very choshev. We are very... Uh, it just, I never expected that something like this could happen to us, to, in our home, that this could happen to me. You don't know how choshev my husband is. 
she forgot that Ena Patropos Laraias, there's no such a thing. One has to listen to Gdolei Israel. They were saying, they're saying this years after there have been so many, so many, so many korbonos, sacrifices. Yes, people who fell to this same, it's like saying, saying, saying uh, uh, putting Davaracher into the house. One wouldn't do such a thing. So how is it that you just not listening. She just she said she couldn't believe it could happen to her. So first of all, the bull was now threw back at her. This is no good. Not listening to Gdole Israel gets you into trouble. Anyway, Lamaisa, now I suggested that I said, look, let's see, it's Erev Shabbos now. Let's see if we can do something about this. I'll come over to my house. I'd, I'll try and see if my husband can talk to your husband and we can then afterwards, we'll talk and we'll see if we can get through this difficulty. Anyway, they came to the house, Erev Shabbos. I opened the door, and there she was, a lady standing, and there was a little baby in a in a baby chair, kind of next to her, and I couldn't see the husband anywhere. And uh, I took a few steps out of the house, and there he was, kind of literally wanting to sink through the floor, white as a sheet, and extremely embarrassed and uh, shameful avrech. And uh, anyway, I let them in. My husband spoke to him, and I then had to speak to her to give, to get her to give her marriage a chance again. But we had to start from the beginning. We had to build up the kedusha of this marriage from the very beginning, because it all was in shambles now. All the trust and all the moon and anything that was between them had got, had got squashed, had got crumpled. And uh, so, Baruch Hashem, they left. Uh, yeah, I was married, and I mean, it's a shame we are, you know, tried to get them to start from now and shelve the, the history. And the first and foremost thing is to get that computer with open internet out of the house, literally out. There's no such a thing as having an open internet in the house. No such a thing. Even with the greatest, greatest, greatest Sadiqim living in the house, she thought she was too great, and herself was too great that this wouldn't ever happened to her, but there's a concept, Hazal teach us, Ein apotropos la raias, you, you, cannot, uh, you cannot play with fire. <clears throat> this is the challenge of our times, to distance ourselves from the influences that ambush us at every turn. Rav Dester, Zechat Sadiq Livrocha, says as follows, as the future redemption approaches, the Jewish people will have to contend with the mighty challenges that the Amoraim were afraid of when they said, Let Moshiach come, but I don't want to live at that time. The Maharal explains, lest they fail to withstand the test of that time. So how are we possibly to withstand these challenges? If, yeah, we see that the Amoraim said that it would be too hard for them. So how are we to withstand them? Listen carefully. The very fact that we are the ones faced with, to contend with these challenges is proof that we will also be able to triumph over them. Because HaKadosh Baruch Hu does not come with complaints against his people. Hashem never gives a person and neither a generation a test they are incapable of passing.
How? How are we going to do this? How are we going to contend with these challenges? Simple. Every generation has been blessed with towering Torah luminaries from whose teachings we must not deviate. Therefore, by adhering to the halachic guidelines and listening to the instructions of Dolei Israel, the rabbinic leaders of our generation, we acquire clear boundaries that prevent the encroachment of insidious influences. Our challenge is to make sure that no vestige of Edom's influence clings to us. We're in Galus Edom, as we know, so we have to make sure that we don't let any of this influence of Edom culture cling to us. How? By constantly being aware of the enormous dangers that enter our homes, sometimes in very innocent-seeming ways. There's obviously the radio, the television, the video, the internet, the papers, the advertisements, the magazines, the books, the billboards, etc., etc., etc. By a press of a button, the worst of the worst of the lowliest of the low will be in our homes. Now, will we succeed? Absolutely. As it says, surely a wise and discerning people is this great nation. It says it so in Sefer Dvorim. It's talking about us. Because Hashem chose us for this mission. But you who cling to Hashem, your God, you are all alive today. Chayim kochem hayom. Now us women, our strength is so powerful that it says that the future redemption will be in the merit of the generation's righteous women. It's brought down in Midrash Zuta Rus, the following. The generations are not redeemed except through the merit of the generation's righteous women. So what is the secret of our mission that it is so critical for the survival of our nation? Our sages say, everything comes from the woman. Woman and home are two interchangeable words, ishan bait. As we know, the famous of Yoisi, I've never called my wife my wife, but rather my home. Now a woman who turns her gaze outward and introduces the street's emptiness into her home cannot properly, properly fulfill her role as a Jewish wife and mother. Because the woman is the essence of the home and her husband, as it says in Sefer Mishlei, her husband's heart relies on her. She recognizes the fact that we are influenced by our surroundings. As we know, the famous Rav Yoshua, he was known as Ashreyoladetor, praiseworthy is she who bore him. So his mother got the praise. Why? She was the famous lady who placed her his cradle in the study hall. She understood the difference 
between positive and negative influence. Chochmos nashim ban tabesa, the wisdom of women build their home. Matovu alecha Yaakov, how goodly are your tents, O Yaakov, your dwelling places, O Israel. She will serve as a protective wall for her husband. As we know, the bride goes around the chosen, as is the custom under the chuppah. She makes like a wall, a chumah around him. She's, this wall is the role of the woman to be a wall around us, a protection around her husband. Now, in order to fulfill her role, she herself must be protected. How? Simple. The laws of modesty are her primary weapon in achieving this goal. Let's take an in-depth look at this tool unique to the Jewish woman. Let us first of all recognize the challenge. We've said that the first step in recognizing the enemy is we've got to recognize what we're up against. Again, I'll give you an insight, a glimpse through someone else's eyes. A lady came to see me. They were both a couple with Balechuva that returned to Yiddishkeit for a while already. And they decided they became completely Haredi people, like anybody else in the Haredi world. She decided once that they were going to go away for a weekend, and she went to one of the well-advertised adver weekends where it was glut kosher in a very serene, beautiful uh, location with great lectures. There was going to be, though, over Shabbos, very big names in the Torah lecturer's world, Rabonim. So it sounded just marvelous. She came back from this weekend, and she was extremely, extremely disturbed. She said the food was super kosher, super delicious, wonderful. The location was so serene and pretty, beautiful view. Everything was beautiful. The lectures, one after another, all the, the rabbis who lectured were magnificent, such beautiful lectures. But she said, for she was there, it was a weekend for other families, other couples, right? Other Haredi couples. And she said... I, she was just so disturbed and she was talking from her heart. This wasn't a public forum. She came to speak to me. She came to say, what is this? She comes from afar. She came all the way in. She's like a, any regular Haredia. She says, the women were covered up. But many of them looked so eye-catching, so provocative. In other words, here we are. This is somebody from inside who had recognizes what provocative it means so she could see she had left all that and she had come in so she had an understanding of what is provocative and here she's seeing looking at our ladies they were as she's saying covered but they weren't concealing their femininity now recognizing the problem is half the solution as then there's room for improvement so we've seen someone from completely outside waking us up, as I, the story I told you earlier. And here is somebody who's from inside, but who came from outside. So she has seen now that I recognize and understand 
where it's coming from and what is and what isn't supposed to be perhaps with more clarity than some of us who we don't understand perhaps so much what is provocative, what is inappropriate. So once we recognize there is a problem and we recognize what the problem is, we're halfway there to the solution. Let's begin by understanding how we reach the situation we're in. The Novi Yirmiyahu asked the following, Alma Avda Haaretz, why did we lose the Holy Temple? And they asked the Chachomim, and they asked the Nevi'im, and they asked all the Malochim even. No one could answer except Hashem Bichwedo V'atzma, Hashem answers. Only he could provide the answer. He says, because they have abandoned my Torah. Rav Yehuda, Hashem Rav, in the name of Rav, says the following. Because they did not make <coughs> blessing before studying the Torah. Rabbi Nuyona explains, Torah study was not sufficiently important to the people's eyes, to make, in the people's eyes to make them feel the need to recite a blessing over it. In other words, the destruction, the Hurban, came about because of a flaw in attitude and perspective, a lack of proper appreciation for the Torah. Another example, <coughs> when Moshe Rabbeinu came down from the mountain with the luchos, the tablets, it says that Vaishaberotam Tachatahar, he, he he shattered them. He shattered the tablets under the mountain. So what happened? The luchos, the words of Torah, were engraved right through the stone. So where there was a word, a letter, there was no stone. This is the f famous miracle that the Samach and the Mem Sofit, how did they balance there, right? So, as we know, it was all miraculous. So, but where there was words of the, the letters of Torah, the words of Torah, there was no stone there. Now, when Moshe Rabbeinu came, he saw the Jews were sinning with a cheta eagle, with a golden calf. So the oisios parchu, the letters, the words of Torah went back to the shamaim, and what filled up again? Stone. So now we've, the stones were simply too heavy for him to carry because it was all stone. There was no words there. So the stone was too heavy for him to carry and he broke them under the mountain. What is the message? The destruction came about because of a flaw in attitude and perspective, a lack of appreciation of Torah. Torah becomes a burden only when it is unappreciated. You know, the Dubna Magid brings a beautiful uh, story parable that explains this point. He tells about a diamond merchant uh, who had a set arrangement with a certain um, porter to take his bags for him from the rail station every time he arrived from a business trip. So the man was there the usual when he arrived back and the man picked up his two suitcases and this time he exclaimed to him just spontaneously, he said, oh my, your suitcases are so heavy this time. The diamond merchant fainted. What's wrong with him, thought the, 
Uh, Porter, I just think I needed, I deserved a bit of a tip. Uh, such heavy suitcases, no? He comes round and the man says to him, look, I didn't mean to frighten you such that you need to faint. I'm just telling you, your suitcases are so heavy this time. I think I deserve a bit of a tip the minute he says it. Again, the diamond merchant faints. Okay, he's not saying anything further. The diamond merchant comes round. He says to him, don't you hear what your ears don't hear what your mouth is saying? I am a diamond merchant. Diamonds are light. So if my suitcases are so heavy this time, it means someone stole my diamonds and filled up my suitcases with rocks. I shouldn't faint. This teaches a Magid Midovna is the same with mitzvahs. Mitzvahs are comparable to diamonds, which do not weigh much. Now, the deeper appreciation of the mitzvah of modesty, the easier it will be for us to keep it. It's like a princess living in the king's palace. She doesn't feel suffocated by the king's laws because she knows that they're designed to deepen her connection with the king, with the royal dynasty. And if she tries to free herself of them, she'll no longer be a princess. She'll become an ordinary citizen. And so she merits more of the king's attention and protection the more she observes his laws. It's the same with all mitzvahs. Whoever climbs the ladder and gets closer to the king, that's what the purpose of mitzvahs is. Mitzvahs, who needs them? Hashem gave us mitzvahs. Does Hashem need the mitzvahs? No, it's a present to us. This our purpose is to get close to Hashem, and Hashem gave us this ladder, yeah, that we climb up the ladder of the mitzvahs, and this is how we get closer to Hashem. The moment we realize the advantages and the profit, we'll stop wanting to run away, and we'll instead seek out every means of improvement, because the mitzvahs are given in order to refine mankind, as it's brought down in Rashi I recall hearing from Rav Silberstein, Schlitter, uh, concerning a certain non-observant woman who came to register her daughter to a Beis Yaakov school, to a religious school. She's coming to a Haredi school to register her daughter, but she was completely non-observant. And so they asked her, what is she coming to the school to register her daughter? Why, you know, what brings her here? <laughs> so she explained that she said that there were two Haredi girls that came to her house to tell her all about this uh, school. And uh, they were just so uh, modest, so idols, such such wonderful, wonderfully behaved girls that I decided I want my daughter to learn in a type of education where, which reaps such, such fruit. They were so modest and unassuming. Uh, these girls, I wanted my daughter to get the best education. That's why I came. The Vilna Gaon says the following. He says, modesty is the primary mitzvah of women. And it compares to the mitzvah of Torah study for men. Now, we all try to be modest. But we don't always give it the attention it deserves. The glittering world around us has taught and is teaching women across the globe to attract attention, deliberately or unwittingly, and we're influenced 
and often unintentionally, we make the mistake of attracting the wrong kind of attention, thus breaching the protective fence that the Torah has erected around us for our protection. We need a change of attitude and a constant desire to improve. This will bring us to the modesty revolution. As it says, Brother Meiri says the following, modesty is most praiseworthy and a woman should surround herself with it on every side so that there is no breach anywhere upon her. So let's understand the solution. Every woman at every age wants to look nice. It's part of her nature. But she must not become enslaved to her yearning to be beautiful. Glorification of external beauty derives from Greek culture. The Torah regards the body as the clothing of the soul. That is, the essence of an individual is what's on the inside and not his outward appearance. Moreover, the more the body is covered and concealed, the more the soul will shine forth. Our sages have defined the concept of beauty. There is nothing more beautiful than modesty, it says in the Tanchuma. That means that modesty is true beauty because it allows the soul to shine forth leaving the body in the background. Emphasizing the external appearance distorts the soul's central role. In fact, the woman will gain a sense of value and self-respect and a marvelous feeling of personal contentment and satisfaction when she dresses modestly. These are all a result of a life according to the Creator's commandments. So there's a lot to be gained for the woman in this world other than the next. Hashem created a world in which men are attracted to women. Full stop. Fact. A woman must recognize this fact. Therefore, it's a declaration of faith in the Creator when she conceals her external self. Women are capable of being modest. This is not an impossible feat. Every aspect of her behavior must denote restraint. Her femininity must be concealed from others as she saves it only for her husband. A necessary component in every Jew's life is to serve Hashem in joy. The numerical value of safek, which means doubt, is the same as Amalek, which has the same letters as La'akeim, to make crooked. If we bend and make crooked the halocha, we will have doubt. And doubt will lead to a lack of joy, because there is no greater joy than the removal of doubt. How are we going to achieve this joy? The simcha is achieved with thought. Bemachshava are the same letters as besimcha, with thought. The more we give thought, machshava, to the matter, the more we'll be besimcha, with joy. The doubt, the suffix, 
will turn into sipuk by using the, our sixth sense, that vav, the extra vav there is our bina yaseira. His heart was elevated in the ways of Hashem. This is the way. We are immensely lucky to have Berita to be princesses. The road to Simcha is by embracing the mitzvahs with elation and with pride. So on the practical level, let's recognize the pitfalls along the way. Exposing them can help us properly prepare for them and achieve the hoped-for rectification. We'll give a few. The danger of unawareness. We're simply just too busy to constantly check and analyze our wardrobes. So what happens? He has this poor little lady. She, this item of clothing, the skirt used to fit her, but she changed, she gained weight in recent years, but she doesn't keep analyzing her wardrobe, so she, she's in a hurry, she isn't checking. She takes off the skirt and she wears it. Now, she, she imagines it's still fitting her, but it doesn't fit her anymore. And what happens where, the, where there's weight gain and the skirt's going to now become up, too short? So the whole day her knees were showing. And she knows knees aren't allowed to show, but she doesn't even pay attention to, to observe, to pay attention to the fact that her knees were showing. Just simply because of a change in her shape. This happens constantly. Ladies' shapes are always changing. This way, that way, and, and another way. All, diff all changes. Normal. But we've got to keep analyzing then the wardrobe. We, can we cannot get away with, we just don't have time. We're too busy to analyze our wardrobes on a constant basis. Another danger is the danger of relying on others. She's about to buy a garment. <coughs> and she's sure the wife of the rabbi wore a dress exactly like this. So she doesn't even bother to check. It's good or it isn't good. She's not using her own mind anymore, but she saw the rabbi's wife with it. So she's sure it must be good. If she wore it, it must be good for her. must be good. But wait. Number one, um, this outfit that she's positive the rabbi's wife was wearing um, isn't actually so accurate. It was something similar, but it's not the same. Or even if it were the same, Different outfits look different on different people. The same outfit looks different on different people. So it could be an identical outfit, but it will look different on different people. People have different body shapes. And anyway, let's say it's identical. Every person is responsible for himself, and one cannot rely on others' judgments. That's it. We should just wear you know, these things that horses wear to, that we just look forward just look we have to look ourselves what's good for us what everybody else is doing we can't decide to rely on other people for something of this nature we've got to stand on our own two feet and make decisions that are correct ourselves so it's not going to be an excuse but the rabbi rabbitson was wearing the same thing now everybody's going to give a din v'cheshbon in the shamayim after 120 years all by themselves and won't be able to say, but the Rebetzin. Now, another one. The danger in compromise. Most women become accustomed to their look. And changes rock the boat and present a challenge. Let's take this one lady. She was 
true, true story. She really wanted to hear this lecture. She, she was curious. It was a lecture on the subject of modesty, and she was curious to see what there was, was going to be spoken there. But she was much too afraid to attend that lecture because maybe there will be consequences. She might have to make a change. So she skipped that lecture. She went rather to something like safe and sound, sounding like Parashat Shavua, where no changes were going to be needed. It seemed like a safer option to her. So we've got to be ready for this. We've got to recognize there's a danger that we're scared of change and be able to handle it. The more we recognize the danger, the more we'll be able to handle it. Another danger is the word everyone. We know the Yetzirah, the Satan has lots of names, but one of them is everybody does it. It's very easy to do what everyone is doing. It takes effort to do the right thing, even if no one else is doing it. So let's take this one young marriage. She's going off on a shopping spree. She's trying to buy an outfit and she's holding in her hand a perfectly modest item that nobody is wearing, but she knows for sure it's good. And she's got the rest of the umpteen other outfits of the nature that is definitely not okay. And she can see it's not okay, but everyone is wearing it. So she'll be just hiding behind the everyone. What a difficult challenge. But if we recognize this challenge in advance, we'll be able to handle it. We must know this is a common challenge. What about another danger of an inauthentic Kiddush Hashem? This is very delicate danger. We sometimes make the mistake of thinking that presenting a dazzling outward appearance is a Kiddush Hashem. And everyone will want to be a religious uh, uh, woman uh, and embrace the Torah lifestyle. Sometimes people involved in Kiruv Rechokim can get carried away with this, with this concept. Yeah, we'll just be an example of uh, how a, a religious woman looks. Um, there's a big problem with this. It's not a real Kiddush Hashem, it's an inauthentic Kiddush Hashem. I'll just tell you one lady learned this, uh, how it happened to her. She was making extreme effort to the use of cosmetics and etc., etc., and her clothes to really stand out. Uh, they had to, that was, yeah, that, that, that was her thing. She happened to be naturally beautiful as well, but she thought she'll be a walking Kiddush Hashem. Everyone will want to be religious as a result. She thought so until she read about a, a story in the Gomorrah which brings a very beautiful girl in Talmudic times who did the exact opposite. Because she was so naturally beautiful, she, she took efforts to see that she wouldn't be attracting the incorrect attention uh, outside. So suddenly it clicked and this girl realized that it's, this isn't a Kiddush Hashem, what she's thinking. Another danger is of seeking the so-called honor. You know, when a woman regards herself as an object to be shown off, this creates a very low self-image. In fact, the, the opposite is true. Her husband's honor is harmed when other men are attracted to her. I recall the one lady, she made an extreme effort to dress up so her husband could show off to all his friends at the yeshiva alumni dinner. But then she said she felt so foolish because the Rosh Yeshiva spoke about the need to improve in the area of modesty. It's become an issue that is being spoken about more and more today 
because of the situation and recognizing that this really is the challenge of the generation. The danger in advertisements. Look, advertising must work, otherwise people wouldn't be wasting all their money on advertising. So the brainwashing of ads to women to look good is so powerful. Have a little glance at, the, at, at a few ads. You'll see the vast majority are concerning ads for wigs, for makeup, for clothing, all kinds of things. Everyone's interested in making a woman look good. It's so important to everybody. It's good business. I recall the one girl who spoke to me, she said this, she, she, she decided as a young girl that she's just not going to get caught up in this. She sees all her engaged friends, they just get in a whirlwind of, of looks and external appearances. And she's not, it's not going to happen to her. But she came to tell me when she got engaged, she said, it seemed to be that she got caught up in the same whirlwind of activity just around external appearances. Another is the danger of not understanding the possibility of being a stumbling block. Women don't understand men. And ignoring the differences is like burying one's head in the sand. No, women don't like to be told not to be a stumbling block in front of a blind man because they just simply don't understand why are men compared to blind men. This is something that they cannot understand because they are created differently. We just have to accept this. And so then the woman will ask, but why can't men just guard their own eyes? And anyway, why are men compared to blind people? These are queries that women ask. Them. We have to understand that men face challenges which women do not understand at all. The next time when women say the brocha, the blessing in the morning, Shasani Kirtsuno, say it with great kavone. It's not easy to be a man in this generation in which we are living. Guarding one's eyes for men has become an enormous challenge because of the tremendous exposure that there is in the streets. And it's not only exposure from women from afar, this is the whole problem, but it's can be in specifically of the uh, religious women's format of dress, which is not doing the job of concealing their femininity. As we heard before from the lady described, they may be covered, but they're being they're being seductive and provocative in their looks without even realizing this. Another is the danger for the, in the fear of failure. Women are afraid of moving in the direction of positive change lest they fail. Like all people, people are frightened to do something they feel they might not succeed with. This could make them feel foolish in their own eyes or in the eyes of others. This is a natural human trait and we have to be get over this. I'm not being afraid of a step forward and two back, not to be away, but what can happen, what can help in with this is very helpful if, if one finds a friend to join, yeah? I want to improve, maybe you'd like to join me, let's do it together, that sometimes there's more force and more courage comes from that when it's more than you alone but alone that can be done too. That just is a, an advice sometimes that can be helpful. Let's understand now. Clothing. What is the purpose of clothing? Clothing's purpose of clothing is to cover people and to lend them honor, not to cause them to make the outward appearance stand out or to take pride in it. A woman needs to look respectable, dignified, 
exposing herself only lowers her worth and cheapens her. For example, the Havdila Torah scroll we know <coughs> is covered with a mantle because something's wrong with it? No, because its contents are extremely valuable. So what is pritzis, licentiousness? What is this? It's the opposite of modesty, we know. It means a breaking out into a place that is unsuitable. Let's take it that we have a, a pipe of water. Now the water is precious, pure, delicious, lovely ingredient in this pipe. Now the water is meant to get from A to B, from her to her husband. And that's what's inside is her feminine essence, right? So now if we'll make a hole in this pipe, and the water then will burst forth. It'll leave froths. It'll burst forth. That's the word from which Pritzut comes. Bursting forth in an unsuitable place. It was supposed to go from A to B. And here it burst forth in an unsuitable place. This is Pritzut. That is what if her femininity, which was meant to get from her to her husband, from A to B, it bursts forth where it's an unsuitable place for it to be bursting forth. That is Pritzut. That's licentiousness. Immodesty. Women are commanded to contain their femininity when they're with others. Now, intelligence requires a sense of shame, and a sense of shame requires intelligence. So it's put on Orchot Sadikim. So a person with a sense of shame does not lack intelligence, and an intelligent person does not lack a sense of shame. Modesty, therefore, is a reflection of intelligence. It's a sign that the woman understands her worth. Now, when we move over from being young girls to married ladies, the subject of modesty can be understood on a much deeper level. HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave Bina Yesera an extra dimension of wisdom to a woman more than to a man. So it's brought down. Now this Bina Yesera, this extra dimension of wisdom, helps her understand the mitzvah of modesty on a deeper level. The only man on earth from, for whom a woman's charms are reserved is her husband. Her femininity must be kept in check with regard to all other people. Now, the more we internalize this, the more modest we will try to be. A woman must be modest and take care that no people look at her except for her husband. So it's brought down in the Tadhuma. Because after marriage she becomes an Eshet Ish, a married woman, she must take extra care to protect her femininity when in the company of other people. To aid her in this, she was given an additional commandment to cover her hair. This mitzvah, hair covering, is an additional, command, additional commandment to married women. The moment a woman understands the holiness of the marriage bond and its spiritual dimension and the purpose of their essence, they will also comprehend the great need 
to safeguard it, especially in the presence of other people. A princess whose glory is inward. Kol kvodah bat melech pnima, as it says in Tehillim. Therefore, before she steps out of her house, she should look in the mirror with a different look. She should make sure, has she successfully concealed her femininity? Obviously, she must look respectable, but her clothes and behavior must erect a barrier before other people to preserve her exclusiveness and her exclusive status for her husband. Men are commanded to guard their eyes. As it says in Sefer Bamidbar, that you may not explore after your heart and after your eyes. Women are commanded, you shall not place a stumbling block before the blind. As it says in Sefer Vayikra. Moreover, Expressing one's femininity in the wrong place causes inestimable damage to the woman herself. It causes her to lose a part of her deep and delicate inner essence, leaving that much less for her husband. Decades of living amid ever-increasing exposure have addled our senses. We feel we dress much more modestly than them. So we must be just fine, no? However, our perceptions of what is just fine and what isn't have deteriorated greatly. Were we to improve our levels of modesty the rest of the world would benefit too. Am Yisrael has influence on the whole world. As Rav Yisrael Salanta Zechatzadik Levrocha said as follows, if they gossip in the Kovna Bes Midrash, they'll be desecrating the Shabbos in Paris. Kol Yisrael Arifin When I <coughs> was by Rebetzin Kanyevsi, the daughter of Rabbi Yoshev Zechatzadik Levrocha, Shalom. I was by her 10 days before her sudden passing and uh, I went to get a scoma from her, a letter for her from the book, The Unique Princess. And uh, so first she, she told me that when I've got Rabbi Yoshi, her father's scoma inside, what do I need? A letter from her. So I told her she's special to all the ladies and Anyway, she said she gave me a letter, but then she told me to sit down, and she sat me down as a, in, a, in a famous room, sat me down on the bed, and uh, she said, I've, I've got some stories for you about the subject. As we know, modesty was a subject that was very close to her heart. And she told me a number of stories. As I came out of her house, I sat down on a bench in Venebrak, and I wrote down... Uh, some of the stories that she told me, and two of them I actually did put off, put into the book. One of them was uh, concerning a group of, uh, from the north of Israel, who, a group of girls who, from a certain school, who decided, they came to her for a lecture, she gave them an inspirational talk about modesty, and they decided to improve their wardrobes. 
So they went back to their school and they decided all together, they were all going to analyse their wardrobes, whatever could be fixed, put on a pile for fixing, or whatever had to be thrown out, they would throw out. And they did this. At the same time, a terrorist bomb exploded in nearby, in the north, in a nearby place, and there were no injuries. The Rebbitson said to me, she said, the act of self-sacrifice of these girls saved thousands of lives. Because Kol Yisrael Arabians, as they all Jews, are guarantors for one another. Immodesty causes Hashem enormous distress. This can lead him to turn away from us. It's the only mitzvah in the Torah that this is the result. So that he will not see a shameful thing among you and turn away from behind you. It says in Sefer Dvorim. Because this is a deviation from the perfection that is God's goal for the world, the damage affects the whole world. When we repent, when we make tshuva, we demonstrate to Hashem that we are trying hard to correct our ways. He called one girl her clothes had become too tight because of a good reason. She was expecting. But trying to hide an expecting figure and fitting into clothes that don't fit is useless. There she was, sitting and praying on the bus. Her lips were moving, but her looks, her appearance was so attracting and she had absolutely no idea that something was wrong. We all have the ability to move on, to change, to improve. I recall one lady, she was 77 years old. She was Torah observant, she kept Shabbos, she kept um, all the other mitzvahs, Tarat HaMishpacha, she got Kashros. But modesty, she had never heard of any laws regarding modesty. She went to a lecture concerning the subject, and she decided on the spot, if this is it's a whole new, a new subject was opened up to her at the age of 77, she took her whole wardrobe and she gave whatever could be fixed, she gave for fixing. She added sleeves, she added length, she added all kinds of, and whatever couldn't be fixed, she tossed out. This is change. A woman of that age, family, friends, a whole social gathering, she, she made a difference, she looked different. She wasn't embarrassed of anyone. Change calls for real dedication. And it takes a lot of courage, but it brings feelings of exaltation and spiritual elevation. In addition, when we make this change, we are simply an opportunity to do a chesed, to do a kindness for a whole segment of the population, the men, to help them guard their eyes. Because what a person sees stays with him if he wants it or not. A woman's intellect must control her emotions. This will allow her to scrupulously observe the laws of modesty and she'll be rewarded immensely. When a woman is modest in her home, 
Just as the altar atones, so she too atones for her home. Can we believe it? This is written in the Tanchuma. What an amazing merit. Like the altar, like the Mizbeach. Now we said that the additional mitzvah to cover one's hair is given to married women. And Hashem gave this for a reason, in order to raise her level of modesty, because she's now an Eshed Isha, she's a married woman. So let's understand this mitzvah of hair covering for women. When we comprehend the concepts that lie behind it, and we'll appreciate this mitzvah, it'll be easier to choose a suitable head covering. We're obligated to keep the mitzvahs even without understanding them that we know, but our sages have given us a small taste of the reasons in order to spur our enthusiasm for observing them, what we call tamea mitzvahs. The Gemara tells about a lady by the name of Kimchis, that seven of her sons served as Kohen Godol at different times. Now when our sages asked her how come, how did she merit this? She answered a peculiar answer. She said, In all my days, the beams of my house did not see the braids of my hair. As it says in Toysfus Arosh, it says, when she was able to cover them, obviously. <coughs> Rashi explains, But the king's daughter is all glorious within, more than the golden borders of her raiment as it says in Tehillim, when a woman recognizes that the honor, her honor, is inward and covered, then she can merit a great reward. Like Kimchis, whose seven sons wore the special golden garments of the Kohen Godel. Kimchis understood the importance and deeper significance of the smiths of hair covering. That a woman is precious and valuable not because of her outward appearance but because of her inner content. Here is where the challenge lies. Because women are graced with an attractive external appearance they are susceptible to being drawn away from their true identity which is inward and hidden. In life generally, truth is much more often concealed than revealed. Hashem is more real than anything we can see or feel with our senses. That is an incontrovertible truth. A woman who realizes that her soul, which is a portion of the divine, is far more real and beautiful than her external appearance will merit raising children who possess a deep understanding of the inner essence of things. They will recognize the primacy of spirituality and the most important thing in their lives will be to draw closer to Hashem. As it says in Bamid Barabba, a woman who behaves modestly even if she's an Israelite, is worthy of a Kohen and will bear Kohanim Gdolim. What does it mean not having the beams and walls of her house see her hair? What peculiar answer is this? What does this mean? 
It is a custom in the world to build houses on very sturdy foundations, very deep in the ground. But a Jewish home derives its essence from the beams of the roof, from heaven. Spirituality is what builds the home. It all starts from the top, from the head. Through slothfulness the ceiling sags, and through idleness of the hands the house leaks, it says in Koheles. If the woman does not cover herself properly, the beams of her house will warp and the roof will leak. If she exhibits laziness in this area, her ceiling will sag. With diligence, willingness and effort, she can transform her home into a place, palace and a mini's temple. Beit Mikdash Mat. Hair on the head symbolizes divine providence. Each hair has its own follicle that brings it nourishment. Providence with utmost precision of a strand of hair. Kachuta Seara. Hair is in fact made up of dead cells and it's really the least significant part of the body. One can live without it. It symbolizes the physical. It covers, though, the brain, which is the most vital and significant part of the body. The brain pushes the hair away from it and rejects it because hair is the antithesis of what the person stands for. Hair on the head has a spiritual message. Every hair reflects the intelligence, divine providence, and caring that Hashem exhibits toward every detail. Every blade of grass below has an angel appointed to it from above to protect it and to tell it grow. So it's put down in the Zohar Kodesh. Hashem created Chava first woman with a fixed hairstyle, a braid, so her hair didn't move or spread out wild. Her role was to protect her husband from walking in harmful ways. A woman is her husband's helpmeet, the one who illuminates his eyes and stands him on his feet, so it's brought in the Evomos. The braiding of Chava's hair symbolizes that the woman's mission in life is to make sure all matters remain in control and to serve as breaks when necessary. In the word of Torah and reason, everything is as precise and organized as a strand of hair, chutasara, or the sin. On the other hand, if we look at all of the hair as a single unit, the hair springs forth out of control. Like a storm, a seara with a samach. Women have the strength to control their hair, and their head covering symbolizes this power. The royal crown. Before Hashem gave Chava to Adam, he gave her a gift, Bina Yesera, an extra dimension of wisdom. Vayiven Hashem Elokimeta Tzela. Vayiven which means he fashioned, comes from the same root as Bina, as wisdom. Hashem fashioned the rib, 
She is commanded to cover her hair. Through this, she demonstrates her appreciation for the gift of Binav, wisdom which resides in the brain. Chava didn't use this gift, and she followed the imagination, and she sinned. And one of the results was that from now on, she would have to cover her hair herself because her braid was let loose. From now, she'd have to make the effort and be in control. She would have to be in control. And this is the test for us women, to use our Bina Yesera, to use our extra dimension of wisdom, to identify the boundaries and to make sure not to break through them. The woman's head covering serves as a spiritual reminder that Hashem is above her and he gave her the job of guardian. Now the reward for the woman is tremendous because she sacrifices for the sake of heaven. It's brought down, it's for him about Rabbi Akiva. As, as we know, he married Rachel, who was the daughter of Kalba Sabur. She came from a very wealthy home. But she chooses to marry this poor shepherd who didn't know to put an Aleph face together, Nama Aretz, Akiva. Uh, she saw in him sparks potential of, of glory. And uh, what happened was when they were, they were so poor when they married that they, when they woke up in the morning, they used to sleep on straw. So they had to take out the straw from her hair, from his beard. And what happened was he promised her, Akiva promised her, that he was going to learn so well, Torah, ultimately, that he was going to earn for himself a special ornament at, that, at the time in order to upgrade the level of appreciation of the people for people for the Tamidei Chachomim learning Torah. They, the Gdolei Israel at the time, made an incentive. They would give a special, unique ornament to the big Tamidei Chachomim. So Akiva said he's going to learn so well. He's going to earn himself this ornament, but he's not going to wear it. He's going to give it to her to wear so that everybody will see that the greatest uh, learning that comes, um, the spiritual growth yeah, that comes to a man arrives in the merit of his wife. That's what he wanted to show, and that's what he did. He was at the time when he made this promise, he was going to, uh, he promised her a Yerushalayim shel zahav. It was a, it was this is how it's depicted as a as a crown, with a picture of the Beis Hamikdash in the middle, a gold crown. This is called the Yerushalayim shel zahav, and um, the he he earned one and he actually gave it to her. And she actually wore this Yerushalayim shel zahav. It's brought down that the Nasi at the time. It was Rav Gamliel, and his wife said to him, why don't you get me Yerushalayim Shazav? Now, they were very wealthy, and Nossi had to be wealthy to be a Nossi. And um, he, uh, he answered, she, she wasn't saying this out of jealousy. She was saying this, how come you didn't merit to learn so well, like Akiva, that you, you didn't earn a, a, a Yerushalayim Shazav? So he answered, he said that uh, we learned, when I learned Torah, we were living with tremendous comfort and luxury. Yeah, they were wealthy. So you didn't have to do, said the, the Nasi to his wife, he said, you didn't have to do what Akiva, what Rachel had to do for Akiva. She sacrificed like she did. It's brought down that she sacrificed, it says, or she sold her hair in order to uh, allow him to learn Torah, or another version is she sold her very um, expensive 
hair covering that she got from her father's house, the only thing she got from there, and she sold that and wore a simple one so that she would have money so that uh, he could learn Torah. So she's saying, Rav Gamaliel to his wife, you didn't have to sacrifice like she did. Uh, that's why I didn't merit to grow as great as he did in the learning of Torah. That's why I didn't merit you, Rishadayim Sazab. That's why I, I couldn't give one to you. So we see that, uh, as it says in Avot Rabbi Natan, the spiritual growth of the man comes in the merit of his wife. She has, as Rabbi Akiva said, she has suffered greatly with me in the Torah. Therefore, she she was deserving of this Yerushalayim shall have. Now, the crowning glory of a woman's beauty is her hair. She sacrifices her desire to look beautiful in order to do what is right in Hashem's eyes. And may she merit spiritual bounty, as did Rachel. Now, the additional challenge that we are faced with is looking and finding a suitable head covering. Because a head covering, as all other items of clothing, has to be modest and not eye-catching. One particular, Revitson told me that she thought about this very seriously as to what is a suitable hair covering not too long after her marriage. What happened was she got two offers of a shidduch. She was thought that she looked, her, her wig was so natural looking that it looked like she was a single girl. And uh, she was offered to shidduchim. She said she was very embarrassed by this. How come she's not looking married? How come people can't see that she's got a head covering? So she gave her, gave her what to think about and had an effect on the head covering that she chose. Um, another lady told me the following, that she was very proper and modest lady, and she was working, and uh, working. And, uh, her section of the work was all with women in her, her office space. But there was a particular man that kept coming over to her. He had no business to come over. But only, he just kept going on and on and on. Eventually, she decided she can't, cannot take this any further. And she, she just said openly, she said, excuse me, Mr. But what do you want from me? Why, why do you keep coming here? And he just burted out. He said, oh, it's just, it's because of your hair. She was so dumb, dumbfounded. Her hair, it was her wig. She, but as the man, to the man that looked like hair, and it, it actually really is here. It's just somebody else's here. But it was so beautiful. And this was a very drawing attack. And the man just said it. Now, uh, a wig is permitted on condition it testifies to the fact that she's covering her hair. But that's not sufficient. In addition, it must adhere to defined guidelines of modesty. You know, a lady told me how she was sitting. This is very typical in a wig salon. And it's an enormous challenge. Here she was. She was given brochure to look through and to make a decision on how she wants to look. Her external appearance had become such a high focus. So she was looking to be more beautiful in public than she ever was as a single girl with her little tied back ponytail. And now she was looking to look just much more beautiful. And she'd also be joining the tossing her hair, wig hair, yeah, out of her eyes like all her friends. Something didn't sit right with her. She, she had to speak about it, but it just seemed, something seemed strange. The Chazonish says the following. He says that the measure of a woman's fear of heaven 
is gauged by how she covers her hair. A begged, which means an item of clothing, can be bogade, can be something that betrays her. Her clothes can turn into her traitors. So she needs to make sure that her head covering, which has become as a part of her clothing, right, does not become her traitor. She must use her Bina Yesera. She must use this extra dimension of wisdom Hashem has given her. Let's be honest now. Here's a young girl. She's dreaming of being a married lady. There she's sitting in door dreaming while the teacher's talking on in the seminary, in the school, in the high school. She's dreaming of getting engaged and getting a ring and going to be a married lady. And she's dreaming, now let's be honest, she's dreaming of from now being able to fulfill the mitzvah of hair covering. Let's be honest. Or is she dreaming of sitting in the wig salon and choosing this magnificent piece that she's going to make her look much more beautiful than she's ever looked with her own hair. We must be honest. What actually is happening? Does she long to cover her hair in order to fulfill Hashem's commandment and become more modest because that's the purpose of this commandment? Or is she waiting to don a glorious wig and look even more beautiful externally as if she's ever looked in her life. Now, if she wore this wig only in front of her husband, there would be no problem at all. We wouldn't be dealing with this. However, other men will be seeing her too. Here is the problem. Now, understanding the problem is half the solution. Let's just understand this. The wig industry worldwide and the religious Haredi, religious observant community is only a very small section of this industry. So the wig industry worldwide serves, one, to improve people's outward appearance and help them change their image at will. Uh, so we know that in the entertainment industry it's very widely used wigs. And second, a wig is used for people who are ill and their hair falls out and they need to, they want to make themselves look as if they still have hair, right? That's the purpose for this industry. Now, this same industry services us Torah observant Jews as well. We're only a small percentage of the customers. So we're actually purchasing a wig that was initially intended for another purpose, a different purpose. The manufacturers do not take into any consideration the laws, our laws of modesty. Their interest is reaping profit like any business. So when we buy a wig, we have to focus on the purpose for which we are buying it. That is, to be more modest. Let's take the example of the lady. She was sitting in, and this is such a common scenario, the lady sitting in the wig salon. She came to buy a wig. And it's a very expensive item of clothing. None of her other, any of her other items of clothing match up to the price of this head covering. And <coughs> wigs usually come as a big chunk of hair. And now it has to be styled by the stylist. So as this expensive item and each bit of silky hair gets cut, 
to make it into look something modest. As each piece of lock of silky hair falls to the floor, so she watches fall to the floor many, many dollars. This is very, very bigly sewn. It's a very big trial. As well as the lovely look that's falling to the floor. Because long hair, hair is a beautifying agent. We all know this. It's very, very difficult. So tears are streaming down her cheeks. She's got to be very strong in order to sit there with the, the instructions of Dole Israel. What is called a modest length and a modest style? So we have to remember that the stylist, it's a work of art by her. So she, the woman's saying, cut more, but she says, but you're spoiling the whole effect. So what, a woman's going to have to be very courageous, said, keep cutting, please. The trial is enormous. And the only thing that will help us will be knowledge. Only knowledge will act as a counterforce and help her weigh the matter in the light of reason. A, a woman is not permitted to dress in a way that attracts men. Full stop. B, she needs to know what attracts men. Not knowing the law will never hold as an excuse. So we're going to have to know. We're going to have to learn. We aren't going to be able to get away with it by saying, but I didn't know what attracts men. So she has to choose a wig and style it in a way that conceals her femininity and does not emphasize and accentuate her femininity. Gdolei Hador. Gdolei Hador are those who all the Rabbonim all over the world come to to get advice from. In every generation they are Gdolei Hador. They're known as Gdolein, as Gdolei Hador. These Gdoleador are the only ones who can decide and only on them can we rely and not on a friend or a weak stylist. The heter, the permission to wear a wig, is for a short, unnatural wig where the hair doesn't move. This is how Rabbi Yoshev, the Chatzadik V'Koresh Tevrocha, explains. And these were the wigs that were used about a hundred years ago. They were not provocative nor luring. On the other hand, a long, free-flowing, natural-looking wig does not constitute a modest hair covering. Our question must be, do the wigs which are in widespread use today fulfill their purpose adequately? By the way, the kosher label that has to be on the wig simply means that the hair was not used for idol worship. It does not attest to the modesty of the wig. Harabin Yoshi's Zechat opinion, which he asked, should be known to all. Jewish women all over the world, he wanted this known to them. And his opinion is, that it is preferable to cover the hair with a kerchief rather than a wig. He expressed his concern about the use of wigs that are not modest 
a practice which he says has made inroads even into the families of pious men and Rosh Yeshiva. Rav Shlomo Zalman Orbach, Zechat Tzadik V'Kodesh Devrocha, expressed the same concern. His words were, they cover their hair and they make every effort to make it look uncovered. Therefore, in my opinion, it is a loathsome thing. And when Moshiach comes, he said, the first thing he'll do is abolish the use of wigs. I recall one lady, she decided she was going to try and do what was preferable, and God Alador says something's preferable, she was going to try. So she decided she started with her trial, she decided she'll go to a PTA. That's kind of, that's how she'll go out of the house with a PTA with a kerchief. And uh, she tried this, and she said it was uh, not a simple experience. She felt like she was like a different image. It's amazing the power of everybody around, because if everybody looked the same as her, she wouldn't have felt anything different. But because uh, everybody wasn't looking, wearing a kerchief, she felt uh, a discomfort. But she described how she got over it, it's, she got used to it, and gave her the courage to try on another occasion to do without her wig and rather cover her hair in the whatever Yoshi says is a preferred manner with a kerchief. Now a woman gets a reward for her desire to grow. Where a person's thought are, there the entire person is. For the essence of a person is not his body, but his soul. So says of Tzadok Kakoyen Milublin. So even if her efforts and attempts do not lead to any real achievement, don't worry about that. A person's shaifas, his desire to improve, that's what Akarosh Baruch wants to see. Every woman has to do her utmost. And people are different, their circumstances are different, their natures are different, their surroundings are different. Her utmost to improve at her own pace. Being different is not easy, but with time, others and she herself will get used to the change. Recall one lady describing how she met her friend at a wedding, and her friend was wearing a kerchief, and she said she couldn't get over it, how angry she was at her friend. What? What is the kind of a chutzpah is this? What is her friend? We, they used to sit in the week salon together. What's her friend arriving at a wedding in such a, such a funny kind of a hair covering? What happened to her? And uh, she said she caught herself realizing what's the matter with ultimately with me. Why is it that it's disturbing me so much? What is, what's my business? Why is it disturbing me that my friend's wearing a kerchief rather than a wig like me? And uh, she realized this. She was a serious lady, and she decided she'd, she's going to speak to her friend about it. She's going to ask her, explain to me. She did so. Modesty is linked to external appearance, and it requires us to put our minds in control of how we look. Excessive focus on one's outward appearance can turn into a form of idol worship. This is what modesty is intended to prevent. Beauty as a value is secondary in importance to the value of holiness. When beauty serves holiness, it enhances it. 
But when beauty becomes the master, it turns into a tyrant. The Torah directs a Jew to steer away from being overly involved with the outside aspect of life, the panim, and to focus more on the spiritual and the inward, the panim. Our desire must be to liberate ourselves and be free from the non-Torah influences of society. And Hashem will give us strength. He'll give us the strength and the courage to do what is right in His eyes. We just have to show a desire, a burning desire to improve. Hashem will give His nation strength. Hashem will bless His nation with peace. It's brought down in Tehillim. To improve and strengthen our modesty and so to influence our families and the entire Jewish people, in fact, and the whole world. Modesty is beautiful, says so in Bamid Baraba. There's nothing more beloved by God than modesty. In modesty, then, there is both beauty and affection. The more a woman cover, conceals herself from other men, the stronger and more special her bond with her husband will be. When she dresses and conducts herself modestly, she gives her husband the message that she is saving her feminine essence, especially for him. In this way, his love for her the Chofetz Chaim says, Do not let the evil inclination convince you that she will escape judgment because she has to adorn herself in front of her husband, lest she grow unappealing in his eyes. This is an error, says the Chofetz Chaim, because that is something that belongs only in the home alone and not in the marketplace. Harav Shach, Zechitzad said that a men, men's Torah study goes over to the side of the evil when their wives dress immodestly. Now neither man nor his wife is in the position to decide which article of clothing is appropriate, which is appropriately modest, and which is not. Only Gedolei Israel can decide this. We are commanded you shall be careful to do according to everything that they will teach you. And you shall not deviate from the word that they will tell you, right or left. This is the meaning of emunat chachamim. This is how we submit ourselves to Hashem and accept upon ourselves the yoke of heaven. Therefore, modesty is an expression of emuna, of our faith. A woman who fears God she should be praised, as it says in Mishlei. Now the laws of modesty from Gedolei Israel we will have, we have here in the unique princess we have here the chapter 14 we have here the laws of modesty, a woman's behavior in the presence of men. This was written by Agon Rav Yitzhak Zilberstein Schlitter and was approved by Maran Agon Rav Yosef Shalom Yashiv. Right. Here we are. All the hair on a married woman's head must be covered in all situations. If she wears a shetel, a wig, the shetel must look 
Like a wig, it must be styled modestly and must not be longer than the highest vertebra on the back. In the view of Maranagon Rav Yosef Sholom Eliashib, it is preferable to cover one's hair with a kerchief rather than with a wig. The woman's whole body must be covered in all situations. This includes the elbows, knees, collarbone, and the first vertebra on the back. The clothes may not be see-through or tight-fitting. Red clothes or clothes with a slit are not permitted. The woman must wear stockings. Makeup and jewellery should not be prominent. Perfume should not be noticeable. The woman must make sure her voice when singing should not be heard. The woman's appearance and behavior should be dignified but not attention-getting. The woman must make sure to observe all the laws of Yehud. Nearly all of a woman's reward and punishment in the world to come are dependent on modesty, says the Peleoites. Then we have here a letter on the letter of Rav Yosef Shalom Yoshiv on Tishrei 5771. Many have already spoken about the obligation to strengthen and observe the strictures of modesty in dress, something that is the foundation of the Jewish home and the foundation of the nation as a whole. And I have already publicly stated my opinion that the laws of modesty formulated by the based in Mishmar HaTorah, which was established by me, are neither fences nor stringencies, but rather they are part of the body of Torah law, and that anyone who detracts from them is transgressing Das Yehudis. The obligation to observe and keep these laws is not incumbent only on the women. Rather, the head of every house in his home must make sure to strengthen the members of his household and his offspring. Particularly in these days, the days of judgment and mercy, when every individual wishes to be judged favorably, there is no defense on the day of judgment like strengthening oneself in these matters, which offers protection against all troubles. In this merit, may the Shekhinah rest upon you, and may you merit a Gemara Chasimah in the Book of the Righteous, with the blessings of the Torah. This is signed by Rav Yosef Sholem Yoshev, Rav Aaron Yehuda Leib Steinman, and Rav Shmuel Halevi Vosner. The Mishmarah Torah, the space in, has brought out a document which is an outline of the laws of modesty, which we simply is going to read that we have, we have over here, summary of the laws of modesty, written by Beit Din Sedek Mishmara Torah, under the leadership of Marana Rabbanan, the Gdolei Hador, Marana Rav Yosef Sholem Yoshiv, and Marana Gon Rav Shmuel Halevi Vaznashlita. Head coverings. Halacha requires the covering of all hair on the head. Whichever head covering is used, shetel, wig, techel, kerchief, or hat, it must cover all the hair on the head. Those who wear a shetel, a wig, must be particular that. They do not appear to be unmarried. It should be clearly recognizable to all that she is a married woman. One must therefore avoid any feature whose purpose is to give the shetel a natural look. For example, a white parting or skin top, scalp-colored net, a girlish style. 2. The shetel should not have a wild look or be long. The Gdolea Dora have described this as pritzis. The maximum permitted length is at the back no longer than just covering the neck and under no circumstances should it pass the shoulder line. At the front, the hair should not cover the cheeks. Those who wear a tichel, a kerchief, should be careful of the following pitfalls. 1. Bandana tichels are generally not large enough to cover all the hair as is required by halacha. 2. Some hats are not, are not sufficiently opaque and therefore do not provide proper coverage of the hair as is required by halacha, for example, an unlined net fabric. 3. Long snoods may get pulled backwards because of their own weight, 
and thereby reveal the hair at the front of the head. For when a snood or tichel is worn above the ears, the hair around the ears is visible. Dress, blouses, tops. The neck itself is considered an exposed area that need not be covered. The boundaries of the neck are as follows. At the sides, from the point where the shoulders begin to slope downwards, from behind, from the first bone of the spine, a necklace will naturally hang at this point. In front, from just above the collarbone. In certain situations, such as when carrying a shoulder bag or lifting an infant, the sides of the neck can become exposed. Leaving the top button open on a shirt collar can cause exposure at the front. Length of the blouse. It must be long enough so that the body is not exposed in any position, even if one is wearing another garment underneath, that is, at least 10 centimeters past the waist. Sleeve length and shape. It should be long enough that the elbow is, is covered in all positions. One may not wear a garment with tight-fitting sleeves. Shape of blouse. A tight-fitting blouse is forbidden. Therefore, fabrics that cling to the body, such as lycra or t-shirt material, are forbidden to be worn, even when worn under a jacket or vest. Waistcoat. One should not wear a short-sleeved blouse on top of a long-sleeved one. Size of blouse. One cannot rely on the size printed on the garment label. One must try on the garment and ensure that it is not too tight. Skirts. Skirts may not be shorter than halfway between the knee and the heel. The style must be wide enough so that the shape of the legs will not show when walking. Position. The top of the skirt should begin at the waist, not above or below. Slits are forbidden even below the knee. Stockings. Length. The stockings must be at least higher than the knee. Thickness that the leg is not visible. The definition of at least 40 denier does not necessarily hold true since some manufacturers use a finer thread, meaning that 40 denier will be inadequate and one must therefore check that the leg is not visible. Then we have here, uh, written on Marchesh 5772, a message from Rabbeinu Hagaon Rav Chaim Kanievsky Shlita. Because the matter of modesty is the foundation of the soul of the Jewish people and the Rebetz and Aliyah Shalom devoted her life to it, it is certainly warranted and will be an elevation for her pure soul to strengthen this matter, and specifically by following the guidelines set by the Beit Din Mishmar HaTorah, which was established and is maintained under the leadership of the Grolei Israel Shlita, my esteemed teacher and father-in-law, Maranagon, Rav Yosef Shalom Yashiv, here it was Shlita, yeah, and Maranagon, Rav Shmuel Vazna Shlita, and those who have begun teaching the laws of modesty in educational institutions have done a good thing, and the Rebetz and Aliyah Shalom will certainly be a Melitzat Yosher for all those who strengthen themselves in this matter, that they may merit much nachas and siyata deshmaya in this world and in the world to come. Tell you a true story that happened. There was a a young girl who left Yiddishkeit. It was a erev Shabbos. She left out. She said she's going. That's it. It been guess she'd been going downhill for a while. She packed her bags and she left. The parents were distraught. They went to their rav, Rav Moshe Aaron Brzovsky, and they went to him. What could they do? So he asked, was there any mitzvah that she was still connected to in some way? Uh, she had left Shabbos, she had left Kashrus. So they said, yes, she was still connected to the mitzvah of modesty. She still was wearing modest clothes. So he told them, 
to take one of her garments that she left at home for one of her clothes, to, t to take some thread and to light the Shabbos candles using the thread from her garment. They did this, the mother did this, and uh, she davened to Hashem, and Motzei uh, Shabbos, there was a knock at the door, and there was the daughter. She said that something happened to her, is what she explained, on Friday night. She doesn't know what, but she decided and made up that she was going to return for good, but she didn't want to travel on the Shabbos now, so she waited till Motzei Shabbos, and here she was with her suitcases. She had come home for good. Nearly all of a woman's reward and punishment in the world to come are dependent on modesty, the Peleoite says. When a woman is careful, in particular, in her observance of the mitzvah of modesty, according to the law, and because of this, beads of perspiration appear on her forehead, HaKadosh Baruch Hu takes these drops and keeps them in his treasure house. And in the next world, these will turn into dewdrops, which will revive her at the resurrection of the dead and in the life of the world to come. And she is rewarded for eternity, forever and ever. This is brought to the name of the Chazonish. I'll tell you an amazing story that the person involved in the story, his name is Shuki Malul. He asked for his story to be made public. Uh, he was a man who for know, 30 years was literally the main the main person in this hot town, a town up in the north end of Eretz Israel, the main person involved in anything to do with Torah and mitzvahs, Torah and chesed and kindness. He was the, there was a mikveh broken, he had it built. There was a need for a, a kindergarten for religious children. He organized it. There's somebody's son was injured or, or was, uh, was killed in, in, in the army in a, a terrorist attack and they needed to sit shiva, he organized the shiva in the person's house. Anything involving Torah and chesed, this man was the main man in town. He was famous for this. The man got older, and he fell ill, and he asked the rabbi, he felt he was on his deathbed, and he, felt, he asked the rabbi of the town to come, to come and see him. And he told the rabbi when he came, he said, look, I asked you to come because I... Uh, I feel that I'd like to tell you something and that I'd like you to, to publicize this because it's an important message. So he said, you see, you, as you know, I'm famous uh, for, for all my activities and for Torah and for Chesed in town, but I want to tell you I wasn't always religious at all. I started my life as completely secular youth. I used to sit on the fence with a can of beer in one hand, all my friends laughing and, and mocking anyone who walked by in the street good for nothings we were and he said what changed was one day he was sitting on the fence outside in the street with his with his uh, can of beer and his and mocking all the people walking by and uh, suddenly he says you noticed there was a yeshiva bocha it's very apparent by the dress how he looks and this young man dressed you know in the in the gear of yeshiva bocha walking across the road from us, and we noticed that he walked across the road, and he suddenly saw a billboard with an immodest uh, picture on it, and he said they were watching this from the other side of the road. He says that the man, the boy just literally turned around and ran from there, and all his friends and that, they were all laughing and mocking him, blah, 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 whatever, but he says he couldn't sleep all night. He said he couldn't figure it out. What has this boy got that he doesn't have that 
that he's able to do this. What is it? So he decided this is what brought him to investigate Yiddishkeit, and he went, eventually went to yeshiva. He learned, he learned as an Avrech afterwards, and he became the, the main person in town in anything to do with Torah and Chesed for all the rest of his life. So he said to the rabbi, I'm telling you the story because I want you to know, I don't know who that boy was. He doesn't know me, I don't know, he will never meet each other, but you should know that all my Torah and all the Chesed I've done all my life all get given, the merit of them all is his. It's all because of him. From that one small little act of his, everything that in my life, everything in Torah and mitzvahs all belong to him. He's going to come afterwards to the Shammayim and find a whole lot of merits and reward for things he won't know where it came from. And that's why I wanted the Rav to uh, tell my story to others that we could, people, we would all realize the significance of every small action. That one act of that boy led me to repentance. Fortunate is he who causes others to merit blessing. It's It's a time of trouble for Yaakov. Eretz Israel is in danger. Assimilation all over the world. The percentages are 60, 70, 80, 90 percent. Dropouts from the religious sector as well. Illnesses, natural dis disasters, crime, financial crisis around the world. It's Yaakov. Rav Steinman Schlitter explains that this is the actualization of the Torah's words. So that he will not see a shameful thing among you and turn away from you, as it says in Sefidvarim. Strengthening our modesty has the power to put a halt to this terrible situation, says Rav Steinman. In Ikvazit HaMashicha, we have this to strengthen three things. The the same as Yosef had three major externals, and Yosef is the same gematria as numerical value as Zion. So the three things are emuna, belief, arayas, which is modesty, tzniyas, and achdus, unity. You are children to Hashem your God, it says in Sefer Dvorim. Banim atem l'Hashem elokechem. Jewish women are the daughters of Hashem, and he imbued them with nobility as a part of their very essence. Princesses conduct themselves with nobility and respectability. Their clothes are not provocative or seductive. Their entire being is an embodiment of Kiddush Hashem, the sanctification of God's name. Women were born to be modest. It comes naturally to them. It's not hard to be what Hashem intended us to be because it is His will. Rav Elia Lopian, said the following, When the war between holiness and impurity is at its peak and the decisive moment is approaching, both sides invest all the effort at their disposal. Who will win? In times like these, a person's smallest action could be the deciding factor. Recall a story that a girl told me. 
Her friend had recently become religious. She had been crazy over tshuva. And she was married now. And she invited this girl, her friend, to come for a Shabbos. She had nothing else to do for the weekend. She decided she'll go. She was curious, actually, to see what happens after she, this, her friend became observant. So she went there for a Shabbos. So first of all, she described how they lit the... She saw her friend light the Shabbos candle. She said the light and the and the aura of the Shabbos candle somehow had this aura around her. And then the friend suggested her. She was young, married. She said that would she like to come with her? She's going to be going to to shul, and would she like to come with her? So she'd never stepped foot in a shul in her life. But she, that she's came here for the experience, and she said okay. But the friend said to her, said, look, uh, I think you'll be more comfortable if I lend you some of my clothes because you'll just feel more comfortable that way. And uh, so she said she felt a bit funny about that, what's wrong with her clothes. But her friend was being very sweet about it and it seemed that that was the correct thing to do. So she said, okay. And she put on this modest kind of blouse and skirt that her friend had given her. She said in the beginning it felt a bit awkward, but afterwards she said it grew on her somehow. And she stayed with those clothes. She went to the shul. She describes how she heard the, the tunes and the chadodi and the, the singing in the shul and how this reached her heart and then the meal and how the zmiris at the table reached out. She said, but she remained with these clothes the whole Shabbos. She said, but by the time she left, she was kind of even loath to let go of the clothes. This girl herself, as a result of the Shabbos and this experience, she says that she was chrezer b'tshuva and she built a Torah home herself, but she said, there was something that the clothes, these modernist clothes, did to her that she felt, she felt somehow something from the clothing that she had lent. The laws of modesty increase holiness in the world. Keeping them is an expression of fear of heaven and faith in Hashem. May our eyes behold your return to Zion in compassion, we say. explains May our eyes behold, one should have in mind that this should come about through one's own merit. For whatever comes about through one's own merit, we will be able to see. But what comes through the merit of one's forefathers, one cannot see. Therefore we request that may we, our eyes behold. Declared the following If we repair the matter of modesty, there will be peace. Because the main war of impurity with holiness is taking place today in the arena of immorality. And it's this impurity which distorts our faith. Therefore, women who safeguard their modesty are helping to bring the redemption closer. Rebetzin Kanievsky and one of the other stories she told me was uh, concerning a woman who came in and uh, she, she was really dragged in to see the Rebetzin. She says her family were very uh, 
very, very uh, having a rough time with this particular lady. Anything they wanted to do in the direction of religion, she was very, very anti. So they eventually kind of begged and pleaded and, and dragged her to visit the Rebbitson, the famous Rebbitson, to have, see if the Rebbitson can speak with her. So she came and she says she started to talk to her. And in the middle of the talking to her, she said that her little grandchild, Rebbitson Kenefsi's grandchild, came crying, crying into the room. So the Rebbitson couldn't go on talking to the lady. She had to calm the little girl down. Eventually it came out with sobbing, sobbing, sobbing. She said... So eventually she came out, what had happened, her button of her blouse had fallen off. So she said she can't go like this. So the Rebbitson says she, she had to go and find a safety pin in her drawer. She was explaining to me how she found, she looked here and there, until she found the safety pin and she put it for the little girl and then she went out happily. And she turned out to her guest to talk to her. And she sees the lady sobbing. She said, well, what happened? Why is she sobbing like this? So she said, uh, she calmed down and she told her, she said, she was profoundly affected by this little girl of seven who was so important to her, the lost button. She said that if it's so important to a little girl of seven, the laws of modesty say so, where is she? And she decided on the spot she's going to start moving in the direction of learning about observance, and she said that she was going to start with a mitzvah of modesty, being that she's going to learn for the little girl of seven. Understanding the mitzvah assists us observe it, but even without understanding, we keep the mitzvah because Hashem commanded us to. And when we plead before the King of Kings to send the Moshiach at the end of days to redeem those who eagerly await his salvation, we must know that any effort we make towards self-improvement can be decisive and have an influence on the entire world until at last we see the fulfillment of the prophecy for God will comfort Zion. He will comfort all her ruins. He will make her wilderness like Eden and her wasteland like a garden of Hashem. Joy and gladness will be found there, thanksgiving and the sound of music. May we merit to be the unique princesses who hasten the redemption speedily in our days.